What a Day is brought to you by Ulta Beauty. This AAPI Heritage Month, Ulta Beauty is celebrating the joy of belonging, belonging to a community composed of intricate connections, belonging to our past and our future, to the heritage and birthright that is beauty. Ulta Beauty shines a light on the AAPI community, passing the mic to brand founders and creators to tell their stories centered on heritage, joy, and beauty. They carry AAPI-owned and founded brands like Live Tinted, Peach and Lily, Glamnetic, Tree Hut, and more. Shop AAPI-owned and founded brands at Ulta Beauty Stores and Ulta.com. It is Wednesday, January 26th. I'm Gideon Resnick. And I'm Josie Duffy-Rice. And this is What A Day, the podcast personally responsible for every outfit worn recently by Julia Fox and Kanye West. Yeah, the pants that are also shoes, our idea. Using denim in ways it was never meant to be used, our idea. What can we say? We love love. We do. And we love denim. (laughs) On today's show, the chip shortage leaves manufacturers with no room for error, plus more updates in the ongoing saga of Boris Johnson and his pandemic-era parties. But first, yesterday, Russia conducted a series of military exercises throughout the country and near the border with Ukraine, while Ukraine received a shipment of weapons, including anti-tank missiles, from the U.S. The Pentagon had said earlier in the week that thousands of U.S. troops had been placed on high alert for potential deployment to Eastern Europe. These were some of the latest turns since diplomatic negotiations between the U.S. and Russia have faltered and now both accuse the other of ratcheting up tensions. Meanwhile, Ukrainian leaders have projected a comparative calm about the potential of an attack. Yeah, and the Biden administration is also reportedly concerned about Russia cutting off oil and gas supplies to the rest of Europe and has worked to bolster the available supply there. Europe depends on Russia for about one-third of its natural gas, and this relationship is part of the reason for public caution from some European countries, Germany especially, about how far they would go with sanctions against Russia. That is a brief look at where some of all of this stands as we go to record on Tuesday night. For more on the situation, what led to it, and what is next, we have with us today Ben Rhodes, a former Deputy National Security Advisor in the Obama administration and co-host of Pod Save the World. Ben, thank you for joining us. Good to see you guys. So there's a lot that's been happening. So what do you make of what we've seen in the last 24 to 48 hours here? The broad takeaway is that for a period of time, a lot of the energy and activity was around kind of preventing the war. You know, so you had the diplomatic talks between the United States and Russia. Clearly, those went nowhere. Um, The Russian military deployments continued. And so the steps that we've seen taken in recent days all feel like the United States doing things, anticipating a war, right? So drawing down families of personnel at our embassy in Kyiv, sending those additional troops to Eastern Europe to kind of reassure NATO allies that are on Russia's border or Ukraine's border that we've got their back. All of those things anticipate an actual conflict and, you know, are not a part of a play to, you know, prevent it. Mm -hmm. Um, So it does feel like we moved into an ominous phase. I'm also curious, from the Ukrainian side of things, there's some reporting that Ukrainian leaders are expressing what appears to be a much calmer approach to this than, say, the U.S. or NATO. Why is that in your mind? Yeah, that's been interesting to watch, and they have been. I think part of this is there's a kind of fatalism, right? Like, they've been in this kind of low-grade conflict with Russia since 2014. They are preparing in terms of their military Mm. for a potential Russian invasion, the way in which they're deploying their troops. They're preparing for the contingency. I think the political leadership might just be concluding that, like, look, it's not worth further freaking out our population Mm. about this 
we want to project some calm. Can you walk us through really quickly what NATO's role in Ukraine actually is right now? Yeah, I think it's important for people to distinguish two things, right? These 8,500 troops that you hear about in the news deploying to Eastern Europe, that sounds like they're somehow like going to defend Ukraine, has nothing to do with that. These are troops that would go to Eastern European NATO allies. You know, Ukraine's not a member of NATO, but Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia are, and they border Russia, their former Soviet republics. Those countries want those U.S. troops there because it kind of reassures them of our commitment to their defense. And it's like a deterrent against Russia, perhaps thinking it can keep on going past Ukraine and, and into one of these places because that would be inviting a confrontation with the U.S. military, which is far you know, superior than just a confrontation with you know, the Lithuanian military or you know, the Polish military. Then the second piece of how NATO is involved in Ukraine, though, is NATO is supplying a lot of weapons to Ukraine. It is important to emphasize these are overwhelmingly defensive weapons, right? So the U.S., for instance, will provide things like anti-tank weapons mm. to fight back against Russian tanks. So there is a, an amount of NATO assistance to Ukraine, but in the event of a conflict, NATO will not be a party to the conflict. It'll be Ukraine with a lot of you know, NATO hardware against Russia. Russia can overwhelm that. What this assistance can do is make it more difficult, more painful for Russia, potentially deter Putin if he feels like the cost of the war could be too high. Uh, at least that's the hope. Um, so can you talk about where there are some differences in approach here, like between the U.S. and other NATO allies and why that is significant right now? I think the most significant area of difference is probably on sanctions. The economic sanctions are the kind of main tool that we have to respond to a Russian invasion because we're not going to go to war. Right. The differences are this. Like, the U.S. wants the maximum statement, sanctions. We want to, like, throw the book at the Russians. That's, uh, I, I think, the Biden team's view. Germany gets an enormous amount of its natural gas from Russia, would take a huge hit from imposing those sanctions, and might have, like, shortages. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, might have, like, it's cold in the winter, right? Like, and so I think Germany is the outlier in the other direction of being like very cautious about imposing sanctions because it's going to hit their economy harder than it's going to hit ours. Right. Mm. I also think some of the Europeans are a bit exhausted at confrontation with Russia. Mm. And I think a lot of the work that they're trying to do is figure out like what is a common position among uh, different countries. And by the way, that's a good thing. I, I don't think we should be able to just go over there and be like, here's the sanctions and Sorry, guys, this is going to totally upend and screw up your economies, but right. like we're telling you what to do. Like, it's an alliance. Like, we should figure out, you know, and, and frankly, it's a good way to check us, right? Like, if you can't get your friends to agree with you, then maybe you need to think about your position, right? So, can you tell us how this current conflict between Russia and Ukraine is shifting Biden's overall approach to foreign policy? Yeah, I mean, I think there, there are two pieces of that. I mean, the first is this is not what Joe Biden wanted his foreign policy to be about. Mm -hmm. You know, he came in really focused on a couple of things like China and kind of reorienting American foreign policy for kind of a long-term competition with China, but also these kind of broader questions of, of democracy, obviously efforts against climate change. And if you'll remember, like, he had that summit with Putin in Geneva in the middle of last year, and the intention of that summit, and, you know, the Biden administration wasn't shy about saying it, was kind of like, we kind of want to just keep this relationship in check with Putin, you know, and didn't expect breakthroughs, but didn't want to have further escalation with Russia. 
And clearly that didn't work. Right. You know? mm-hmm. uh, and it's not their fault. I mean, Putin is Putin. But I think how this changes is if there is a, a significant mil- military invasion of Ukraine by Russia, this will consume a lot of their attention and a lot of additional resources. I think the other thing people have to be mindful of is if we do those sanctions in the energy space— gas prices are going to go up in this country. And so other challenges that Joe Biden has, like inflation, are potentially going to get worse, too. So this is a potential real rough patch for them to manage through. Yeah. On that same note about Biden's kind of approach to foreign policy and how this is really throwing a wrench in things, should Biden be more effectively resisting the voices that are eager for conflict in this region? Should he be taking a less aggressive approach? (sighs) This is such a complicated issue because mm-hmm. it's obviously not Joe Biden's choice. You know, Putin is the one who chose to escalate this crisis. That is a democracy that would like to be closer to the United States and Europe um, and doesn't want to be living under the thumb of Russia. And it's kind of inevitable, given the role that the United States plays, that we're going to be implicated in some fashion. If Putin is allowed to just, like, invade a country— with 100,000-plus troops, kill tens of thousands of people, extinguish a democracy, and there's, like, no sanctions, no consequence for that. Man, what kind of message does that send about the world we're in? And does that incentivize Putin to go further? And you have to allow yourself to think, well, maybe he wouldn't stop there. Maybe, you know, there's another country that he'd want to swallow up. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sympathetic in the sense that, like, Biden's got to thread this needle, but I don't think he needs to get too far over his skis on things like, and we insist that, like, you know, Ukraine is one day going to be a member of NATO. Mm -hmm. You know, like, just at a certain point, you have to accept that the United States is not going to be able to dictate events everywhere. One thing that I feel like gets left out of some of the discussions around this are actually, you know, people that are there. So I'm curious, you know, what has it been like for people living through all of this in Ukraine over the past eight years or so? Yeah, I mean, I've talked to people in Ukraine and know people in Ukraine and talked to some of them recently. And, you know, what they will tell you, and, and like, obviously, I'm talking to people that some of whom are engaged in politics and, and they're obviously committed to democracy. They will tell you that, look, in 2013, there was a, a huge protest movement against a corrupt Russian-backed president of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And people are just so sick and tired of essentially having their leaders steal from them and be in the pocket of the Kremlin. And there was this kind of transformative movement there of young, led by young people for democracy. And that corrupt Russian-backed leader fled the country, and it was this kind of breakthrough moment. They call it the revolution of dignity inside of Ukraine. And that's when Russia started moving in some special forces. It wasn't the kind of invasion with 100,000 troops. Right. It kind of moved in some special forces and kind of armed some Russian-backed uh, separatists and, and just started messing around in Ukraine's east. And when you talk to people in Ukraine, they are very proud that they have continued to stand up to Russia, that they have a democracy. That's their attitude. It's a very kind of defiant attitude. And, you know, if we were in their place, I'd like to think that, like, we'd feel the same way. Mm. Well, Ben Rhodes, thank you so much again. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. We will be following this, of course, in the days to come, but that is the latest for now. It's Wednesday, Wad Squad, and for today's temp check, we are talking about the fine leather shoe that got a law decree, Michael <laughs> Avenatti. 
He is in the midst of a lawsuit against adult actress Stormy Daniels, who he represented in her 2018 lawsuit against Donald Trump and has since accused him of stealing from her. I'm glad everybody could follow that. And yesterday... Circle of life, baby. And yesterday, a little over a day into the trial, he got permission to represent himself in court. The move came after Avenatti and his public defenders disagreed on how to cross-examine one of his former employees. And it sets the stage for Avenatti to cross-examine Daniels, a potentially explosive scenario which some say could backfire, particularly given Avenatti's combative personality. Uh, to review the details of the case, Avenatti allegedly convinced Daniels' literary agent to send him nearly $300,000 in publisher's payments that were meant for her. Separately, he's also accused of stealing millions from other clients to buy a private jet. And as you may know, he was convicted and is now serving out his sentence for trying to extort up to 25 million dollars from nike the man who could have been the president of the united states um so josie you are our in-house legal expert on wad we know that you love when we call you that what is your take on this and would you represent yourself in a court of law well once again gideon i would like to say that if i am the in-house legal expert we are in trouble (laughs) i say justice for avenatti the most explicitly brazen (laughs) wrongdoer (laughs) to come out of the trump era And I would never represent myself in a court of law, but that's just because I'm not a very good litigator. Mm. Avenatti could do it, man. I I was going to say, he he has the the kind of brazenness where you know that somehow this will work. Yeah. And and that's what is kind of upsetting about it. It's like a My Cousin Vinny scenario where it's just like, yeah, like people in there are going to somehow believe what he's doing just because that's how it apparently works for people that are just really brazen. When I think of Avenatti, I think of Scaramucci because I think of them as the same era of time. Yes. And, you know, those were the days. We didn't know it then, but... Guys who are really loud, guys who post... Guys who put stuff on the record that they shouldn't. Right. You're a classic guy, you know? Yeah, exactly. We love them. We love them. Uh, we love legal strategy here. Avenatti, if you ever want to come on the show... We would love to have you. (laughs) Yes, uh, that will be the most intense cross-examination that you or I have ever uh, faced talking to Mr. Avenatti. Um, Just like that, we have checked our temps. They are relatively high because we're worried about how uh, this is going to (laughs) go. But we'll be back after some ads. What a day is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She absolutely deserves the best. And that's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, your wife, your auntie, even your granny, okay? Anyone who deserves flowers in your life mm-hmm. doesn't have to be holiday specific. You get flowers, you're getting flowers, <laughs> everyone's getting flowers. <laughs> Go to books.com and use promo code WAD for 25% off. That is B-O-U-Q-S dot com, promo code WAD, books, promo code WAD. What a Day is brought to you by Fast Growing Trees. Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers. They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Plus, Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. We love fast-growing trees here. 
I keep telling you that the mini plants that I've gotten from these folks are yet hanging on. Um, And that's not because I have a green thumb, okay? This spring, fast-growing trees, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code WAD at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code WAD at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code WAD. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Therapy is great for, you know, you know that thing that just is like sitting on your shoulder, you can't get over it, and you just sometimes need somebody to talk through it with? Therapy can be helpful for that, you all, okay? You got to get it off your chest, you know? And you can do that with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com slash WAD today to get 10% off your first month. That's 10% off your first month at BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash WAD. Let's wrap up with some headlines. Headlines. Pfizer announced yesterday that it has begun testing a new vaccine that is designed to target the Omicron variant. The company plans to enroll over 1,000 adults in the highly anticipated study. But the question of whether or not a second booster shot will be necessary to combat Omicron still remains. While we wait on that, we can pick up free N95 masks that have just started popping up at some U.S. pharmacies as part of the White House's plan to give away $400 million. Masks like those are required, as of yesterday, indoors in New York after an appeals court ruled to keep the state's mandate in effect. A lower court had struck it down on Monday. Moving on from wins for protection against coronavirus and towards wins for the novel coronavirus itself, the Biden administration announced yesterday that it is going to withdraw its vaccine mandate for businesses with over 100 employees after the Supreme Court blocked it. The pandemic that targets PlayStation 5s, aka the chip shortage, is ongoing. And yesterday, the Commerce Department issued a report highlighting its severity. The department looked at responses for more than 150 businesses that produce and use semiconductors, and the report revealed that manufacturers who rely on them have less than five days worth of inventory to work with. Man. If you're someone whose life is enriched at all by cars, electronics, or medical devices, this is bad news. It means that any hiccup in chip production could destabilize supply chains. Demand for chips has gone up in the past year, while chip supply has plummeted, and current supply issues could lead to more factories closing worldwide and more furloughed workers. Last summer, Congress passed the Chips for America Act, which includes $52 billion in subsidies to domestic semiconductor manufacturers, but lawmakers have not yet allocated those funds. Great, Rats. great job, guys. The Commerce Department is urging Congress to endorse federal aid for chipmakers immediately. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo said yesterday, quote, the semiconductor supply chain is very fragile and it's going to remain that way until we can increase chip production in the United States. The good news is that I have been taking master classes in chip production and I am ready. <laughs> it's finally my moment. 
Uh, there is finally a man alpha enough to take on Joe Rogan, and he is a creaky-voiced Canadian who scarecrows often identify as one of their own. <laughs> That's right. Neil Young is demanding that Spotify remove his entire discography from their platform, citing Rogan spreading a vaccine misinformation on said platform as his breaking point. In a letter addressed to his management team and record label, Young condemned the streaming giant for allowing Rogan to spread COVID vaccine misinformation to his massive audience. Young went on to say, quote, they can have Rogan or Young, not both. Who knew he had uh, action movie lines in him? It probably isn't likely that Spotify will choose Young over Rogan, given that the <laughs> streaming platform famously bought the rights to the Joe Rogan experience for over $100 million in 2020. But at the very least, Young has this podcast in his corner. We are going to follow him wherever is necessary to keep rocking in the free world. Uh, he happens to be the only 76-year-old folk singer to have his own exclusive streaming service, and it mm. is, in fact, called Extreme. Young's letter originally appeared on his website yesterday before it was taken down for unknown reasons. At the time of this recording, the singer's music is still on Spotify. That's right, all 72 albums. And Spotify has not released a statement on the matter. 72 albums. Almost one for every year of his life. Exactly. Truly remarkable. Like a proper bag of Earl Grey tea, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson found himself in hot water Monday after Aww. police opened an inquiry into a series of parties held at 10 Downing Street during COVID lockdown. This scandal has been brewing for a few months as stories of parties held at government offices have come out one by one, including a December 2020 Christmas rager and a party held the night before Prince Philip's funeral, <laughs> for which Johnson apologized last week to the Queen. This week, it became apparent that Johnson had also attended a surprise birthday party thrown by his wife and staff in June of 2020. The Prime Minister's office responded to these reports, claiming he was there for less than 10 minutes, <laughs> which almost has me defensive of the people who went out of their way to plan the totally illegal gathering. I mean, yes, seriously, you gotta have at least one drink. The police's new involvement in what they're calling Partygate has many believing the power of the scandal could be what ousts Johnson from office. A man whose tenure as prime minister has survived a Brexit, a lobbying scandal, and a personal style that one could simply sum up as business casual Gary Boosie. <laughs> I think he doesn't always reach the level of business casual. I think business TV casual news. is very generous to how Boris Johnson translates. Yeah, Boris has certainly got his, his own thing going on. That is for sure. Uh, wow, a lot to stick in there. And those are the headlines. One more thing before we go. This week on America Dissected, Dr. Abdul El-Sayed talks to Dana Brown, the director of health and economy at the Democracy Collaborative, about Biden's new idea of offering Americans a public option for health insurance and other ways that increased public investment could be used in clinics and hospitals. New episodes of America Dissected drop every Tuesday. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. That is all for today. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, do a keg stand at 10 Downing Street and tell your friends to listen. And if you're into reading and not just Neil Young fan fiction like me, <laughs> What a Day is also a nightly newsletter. Check it out and subscribe at cricket.com slash subscribe. I'm Josie Duffy Rice. I'm Gideon Resnick. And, and party, party on, on Boris. Boris. You know, he took the 10 in 10 Downing Street quite literally for the length of time <laughs> he was at the party. That's not what they meant on the invite. Oh, man. What a Day is a production of Crooked Media. It's recorded and mixed by Bill Lance. Jazzy Marine and Raven Yamamoto are our associate producers. Our head writer is John Milstein with writing support from Jossie Kaufman. And our executive producers are Leo Duran and me, Gideon Resnick. Our theme music is by Colin Gilliard and Kashaka. Doors take us to summers away. 
or winter adventures and afternoon getaways. Your dedicated Fidelity Advisor can help you open those doors by working with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential because doors were meant to be opened. Visit fidelity.com slash wealth. Investment minimum supply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC.